that he could give, which would be so that she would not be thirsty again. But she doesn't catch the point. So he, she says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all this way to draw. And he said, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one with whom you now uh, live is not your husband. In this you have said truth. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he had been for the woman. Yet no one said to him, What do you seek, or why did you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is he? Amen. May God bless to our hearts this reading from his word. Let's bow in prayer. O oh God, our Father, we rejoice in all of the goodness which you have shown to us. We are thankful for the privilege we have of worship today. We're glad that we have the opportunity of opening a Bible and of reading great truth, which is your own truth, which speaks to our minds and hearts today and which can satisfy the thirstiest soul here. You know members of our congregation who have passed through sorrow. We pray especially for Joe and Alicia and the loss of their little baby. We pray that you will be with them and comfort their heart and their children and that you will make us a blessing to them in their sorrow as well. We pray also, Father, for other members of our community, some who have problems that are grievous to bear and some so sensitive that they do not know how to talk about them with other people. We pray that you will make a blessing according to their needs. And if we can fit into being the answer to that blessing, then make us so. And now we pray that from that episode in the life of our blessed Lord, which we have to study this day, that we may have an encounter with Jesus Christ that will be a transformation for us so that when we go away from the chapel, 
we shall be closer to him than when we came in. And if someone here really doesn't know him, that today might be their greatest day in all their life, they may come to know him in true saving faith. We ask that you will bless our offering and use it to glorify your name. For Jesus' sake, amen. To have a Bible lesson this morning that would be in keeping with what we have been uh, uh, studying. We've been looking at some characters and we have been looking at some conversations. The Gospel of John is a remarkable book. It is remarkable because it is the Gospel of belief. John states his whole purpose in writing his book and wants us to keep it in our minds when we read it. Many other signs, and that's John's word for miracle. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, that is, the Gospel of John. But these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Now that makes it just straightforward as it can be. His whole purpose is to bring us into a relationship to Jesus Christ that is true, saving faith. And here in the episode that we've read this morning, we see our Lord Jesus in dealing with a thirsty soul. Some, I hear the expression, someone is burned out today. Here is one who would certainly fit that description, a sort of burnout sensualist. Uh, and so look at uh, this scene. Uh, I have most of the scripture printed there for you on the, uh, uh, on the bulletin, and you can follow it there. Uh, this uh, passage has always fascinated me because it shows our Lord's uh, interest. He had moved in chapter 3 from talking to a learned theologian who sought him out, Nicodemus, and who asked him questions with deepest sincerity and reverence. And here he deals with a woman uh, who has been married many times uh, and who is evidently an immoral person and notoriously so, and yet he reveals deep uh, truths to her about God and about how he wants her. And look at the results. Uh, you have to get in mind the picture uh, of Galilee and Samaria and Judea. Jesus was going from Galilee and he was going to Judea. Uh, good Orthodox Jews did not wish to pass through Samaria. They had no dealings with the Samaritans. We think we have race problems, and we do. But their race problems were notorious. Uh, they would go completely over to the east and skirt around through Perea than to go through Samaria. But it says here that he uh, had to pass through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria in the old version. And so he comes to a city of Samaria called Sychar. Uh, it's described for us from Old Testament history as near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
and Jacob's well was there. Uh, many of us who grew up uh, in the country can still remember a well. Uh, I'm, Dorothy and I are going to be going out to Oklahoma to see about some ear surgery for her, hopefully in the next few days. And I was thinking about that trip. And I always look forward to going back to Lamar County and going back out to the old farm where I grew up. I used to think that the, that the pool that was there on that farm was big as the Atlantic Ocean. I would stand there and I would think I could barely see to the other side. of Now it's so little, it's not as big as Lake Susan. And uh, I would I'd go down to the, to the trestle where the train used to go through the property where we lived. And my, I thought that was the hugest trestle. But it's all shrunk uh, in size now. Uh, and uh, yet, there's one place that I always want my brothers who can identify everything quickly, and that's to take me to the well, where the old well used to be. Because you made a lot of trips to that well. You went out to that well often. Uh, we had a gourd dipper. Maggie's kind of music is my kind of background. Uh, uh, that, that is just about as rustic as you can get uh, when you have a gourd dipper and you live in the country like that. But there are a lot of memories that hover around the well. And so Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied. That shows us that he becomes tired. He was truly man as well as truly God. He is, you can tell a lot about the kind of man a man really is when he does something when he's tired. I called one of the most important doctors in the whole world one time. That is a literally true statement. He was the president's personal physician. I called him at 3 o'clock in the morning and woke him up. Now, that's tough when you have to do that. I was in a lot of pain. And I'll never forget, I began by apologizing to him. I was so frustrated that I was at the end of my rope and I was in great pain. And I said, Jim, I know it's 3 o'clock and I'm sorry that I had to call you up in Minnesota. And he said, Calvin, God has been good to me. And he said, I can assure you that after we get through talking, I can go right back to sleep. And don't you worry about it. You tell me what you need to say and let's do something about it. And he went right into it. Well, that's a kind of doctor that can make you feel good uh, right away. The first thing he did was disarm me from that. Now, Jesus heard, and I said this because it showed that that man would, was heart and soul in his profession, and he could react in a good way, even though he was awakened from a sound sleep. And here Jesus is tired, bone tired. It's in the blazing heat of the day. And he is sitting thus by this well. And uh, it's the sixth hour. All of us know who have studied this passage that that's the blazing heat of the noonday sun. And that's not the time you go to the well. You go late in the evening when the shadows are there. Or you go early in the morning when it's cool. You go to get water at that time. But this woman had gone in the heat of the day, probably, because she was a terrible person, and a lot of respectable people didn't enjoy walking along the path to go to the well with her. They knew what kind of woman she was. 
Even Samaritan law said you were not supposed to have but three husbands and not three at the same time. And this woman had five, and the one she was living with now wasn't her husband. So she was evidently alone. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, uh, Would you please give me a drink of water? Uh, sometimes that's a good way to engage someone in a conversation. Now, he didn't do this as an evangelistic trick. I have people that are always trying to figure out some trick. I know people that will drop a decision card or like a salesman on the floor, so when you pick it up, uh, you'll kind of be motivated to look at it. Well, Jesus has got a bag of tricks. He's, he's thirsty, and he is tired. And he uses a natural uh, approach would you please give me a drink of water? And then uh, uh, John, who always puts these little eyewitness details in, says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. I've been there to this well at Samaria, and some of you have too, and you know that uh, in the time in which Jesus lived, this would have been probably a 45-minute walk away from where they were into the little village where they were to buy bread and then come back out to the well where he had stopped to rest. And so they're gone, and Jesus uh, breaks a taboo. Uh, the rabbis said that you should not speak to a woman in public, period. Not even your wife. Not even your daughter. And, and as far as Samaritans were concerned, the law said that if a wall was tottering and fell over on someone and you couldn't see who it was, that on the Sabbath day you could dig enough dirt away to see whether it were a Samaritan or not. And if it were a Samaritan, you left him alone. You see, there just was no dealings with the Samaritan. Uh, it would be like someone from Savannah, Georgia, who is a sheriff, uh, going into Harlem uh, and trying to win friends there. Uh, the, the Samaritan woman, therefore, said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask uh, for me a drink? I am a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And uh, uh, so here is her first little progression of faith. She recognizes Jesus is a Jew. She can tell that by his distinctive dress. But she asks a very good question. She says, why do you ask a drink of water from me? Most of the time you wouldn't touch any water that a Jew would touch, uh, a Samaritan would touch. For Jews don't have any demons with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, now this is a great line here, and if it's in your Bible uh, there where you can mark it and keep it, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. If you only knew what God could do to your mind or at church today, you'd listen a lot more intently. You'd surrender your stubborn, ornery will to the Lord. And you'd go out of church a better person. Last week when we talked about the sinless one among you, cast the first stone. And we emphasized the fact that we need to drop your rock and go home. 
and that those people who were going to stone that woman who had been dragged into the presence of Jesus, as they listened to him, let their rocks drop, and they went away because they were convicted in their own conscience. They know what they've done. They know their sin. My neighbor's got a big rock in his front yard. Will help me pet rock. It's a <laughs> that's the kind of rock you need. You couldn't pick it up to begin with. And you surely couldn't throw it at anyone. Uh, so here, he says, if you only knew. If you only knew what could happen to you as a result of talking to Jesus Christ, as a result of listening to amazing grace, as a result of saying the Lord's Prayer and meaning, or singing hymns and meaning, or listening and applying the Word to your heart. If you only knew who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Living water is not stagnant. Living water is moving. It's like an artesian well that has a spring that bubbles up fresh water all the time. Our little grandson, we got two of them here this week, and uh, I asked one of them last night who came in uh, to snuggle with me before he went to bed. And I said, what do you like best about coming to Montreat? And I thought he was going to say, seeing Papa. You know what he said? And in the stream. <laughs> well, that living water, you see, running water fascinates a little three- or four-year-old kid. They like to go down and watch the I even like to watch uh, the water run over the rocks. That's living water. This is not stagnant. So Jesus said to, to her, uh, if you only knew who it was who was speaking to you, uh, you could ask, and he could give you living water. Now then, this is how to, out of it that woman is spiritually. Sir, she said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? Now that's not exactly catching the point, is it? You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. I, I was thinking about uh, a person who was writing a very derogatory book on, on John Wesley, the great little Methodist preacher who moved the whole world closer to God. And uh, this person was going to write a terrible book on Wesley, and Wesley had been dead for some years, and they, he looked out and finally found an eyewitness to John Wesley who absolutely knew Wesley and had heard him preach and had seen him. And so he went to this person and uh, told him all of the faults in Wesley's theology and all of the faults with Wesley and said to him that he wanted to write a book on John Wesley. And the old man who had known Wesley replied with this verse to the writer. He said, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw with. That was a good way to put it. You don't understand it. Uh, you're not greater than our father Jacob, says the woman who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his daughters. Now she's moved from calling him Jew to sir. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. Jesus answered and said, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. 
That's why Steven Spielberg invents uh, what he does about the close encounters thing. You know why? It's an effort to get at something supernatural. Now, it's culty. But the, when people quit reading and preaching and teaching the Bible, then the fiction writers pick it up and start with it. If the scientists don't tell us about morality, then the, uh, if the preachers don't, then the scientists will through the evils that exist in our society. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. You know what it's like, he's saying to her, because this is the way your soul is. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Catch that word, eternal life. Something that will last. Something that won't fade away with time. Now the woman speaks, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to drink. See the progression, sir, again? He said to her, go to her husband and come here. Now, he is not seeking to expose her sin, just to be exposing her sin. Never do that. If you're going to fault someone, then fault them and stay with them until you can do something about it. And so he exposes her, but he exposes her for a good reason, because he will do something about the needs in her heart. He will stay with her. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. She's a little coy at this point. Uh, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you now have is not yours. In this you said the truth. Now she gets religious. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. He knows something. And the very fact that God knows us is an interesting point, isn't it? That he knows everything that's going on here in our minds. And he knew everything that was going on in that woman's mind like who was dragged into his presence. And he also knew everything that was going on in the minds of the people who brought their rocks to stone her. There is no audience in worship except God. The choir is not performing for the congregation. Maggie's not singing just for the congregation here. We're singing for God. I'm preaching and God's listening. And he knows what's interacting in all our minds and hearts. God is the only audience. And that really trims us down the side. But that's where business can be done with the Lord. The woman said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. She's gone from a Jew to Sir to a prophet. And now she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people, speaking about Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And then Jesus said, Oh, woman, you want to talk to me about this? You want to get into this theological discussion? That's not really the point, is it? I remember going one time at 3 o'clock in the morning, to a house where a lady in a very beautiful home, a mansion really, who had to go into the hospital that day, and I talked with her that afternoon, and she knew that she would enter the hospital the next day and then the following day be operated on for cancer. She is gone many years ago. She's 
died, but she was an alcoholic. And I used to always be trying to help her to face up to her problem and to seek Jesus Christ. She was not a Christian. And I remember going there at 3 in the morning when she was scared to death and her husband didn't know what to do. You know what she wanted to ask me about? Predestination. Yeah, that's nothing. I mean, that's not the issue. Her own, the issue was her own relationship to the Lord. Uh, she wanted someone to talk with, but she wanted to distract by that question. But an hour is coming, said Jesus, when those who worship the Father worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That means we level with God. And when we level with him, he can do great things with us. The thief on the cross who dies by Jesus, can have great things done to him and said to him when he levels with the one who is beside him. All he can say is, Lord, remember me. And Jesus takes him home to heaven. Well, now he reveals, when this woman gets into the theological discussion, she says, I know that one day Messiah is coming. Now that's who Jesus is. And it's interesting, he didn't say to Nicodemus, I am the Messiah. But he says to this woman here, she says, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ and he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Boy, what a tremendous thing. has just been leading this woman into a saving relationship to himself. Notice his disciples. At this point, his disciples came and marveled that he was speaking to the woman. And so the woman leaves her water pot, and they were very valuable, but you can tell how excited she is with her new discovery of Jesus as the Messiah. And that this has done something that's transformed her heart and she's so excited about it, she leaves that water pot. Now, only an eyewitness would have written that down. And much of this conversation must have either come from Jesus telling it to John or the woman telling it to John. So she leaves her water pot and races away into the city and said to the men, they knew her, come and see a man who told me all the things that I've ever done. This is not the Christ, is it? But she says that anticipating a yes answer. And then they of the city, and they were coming to him. And in the meantime, notice how spiritually alert the great disciples are. Man, this hurts. They say, Rabbi, eat. He is excited because a person has just been delivered from hell to heaven and has come into a saving relationship with him and with peace with God, and they say, Rabbi, eat. They're not very bright at picking up what he's saying, are they? I know a minister who said that one night after a service, he was in the front of the church, and there was a man there who was hungry and ready to make a commitment of his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And one of the deacons came in and slapped his hand and said, Turn the lights out. It's time to go home. 
just that instance. Here's a woman who's about to be saved. And they say, Rabbi E, she was saved. She goes back into town and bears a tremendous testimony. And the whole town starts coming out there in their white Samaritan robes. And that's why you get that word that it's widened to harvest. Jesus said, uh, look out, they were really clawed. This is an Archie Bunker state. Uh, I have, <laughs> the disciples therefore were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? That sounds like an Archie Bunker thing. No one brought him anything to eat, did they? They still hadn't caught on to what he was doing and what was saying. And Jesus said, my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then he said, you say there's going to be four months and then harvest? Look up there at all those white robes that are coming from the Samaritan city because it's already white to harvest. And then these people come out. Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman supplied. He told me all the things that ever I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay there for two more days, and they believed, and they were saying to one another, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is the Savior of the world. Do you see this? the pilgrim's progress? She called him a Jew. She called him sir. She called him a prophet. Then she recognized him as Messiah. Now she says this is the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world who brings eternal life. What does it mean to you, eternal life? Yesterday someone went through sorrow. Jesus was invigorated by this experience with the woman. It means a life that begins here and keeps on. This is a new book. Sandy, A Heart for God. It's the story of Leighton Ford's brilliant, powerfully athletic son, who was a great student at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and the president of the InterVarsity group there, and a great athlete. I can remember when Sandy, in a race, ran with all of his heart, and he had an unusual arrhythmic heart attack that struck him down, and yet he got up, stumbled, got up, stumbled again, and still broke the tape and finished the champion in that meet. They did a delicate operation. I remember going there and praying and praying and praying with T.W. and with Leighton and Jeannie at the Duke Hospital, and Sandy survived it. He went back into an athletic program and a cardiac program. They tested him every way they knew, and they said his heart is good. He can run again. One day, walking on the campus at the University of North Carolina on those red brick walks, it hit him. He stretched out on a sidewalk and told them to call a rescue squad, and they did. This time they tried another operation, and Billy, called, Billy Graham called me down at my house, and he said, you better call 
Slayton. I'll give you a number to call him at the hospital. It looks grim for Sandy. He's been in the operating room way, way too long. And I called and Leighton and I talked. We prayed together. He was still optimistic at that point, but finally, Dr. Seeley had to come out of the room and say, we, we never got him off the table. He died. Leighton's heart was broken. You look at your son, and it's like looking in a well. Oh, well out there will bring back memories in Texas, but if you look in the well, you look into your face of your children, you bring back memories too. That's one reason that is so hard to resolve. So here's what he says in the end of his book. This is why eternal life and this gift that Jesus brings is so, so important for here and for eternity. Weeks after Sandy died, a letter came from a missionary under whose direction he worked that summer in France. He wrote, we are so earth-born and earth-bound that we assume that the main part of God's will and work is here on earth. But I believe that not only the best is yet to be, but the highest will also be there. God never wastes anything. Rather than being the end, this is the beginning. Now, Leighton had stopped at the old track. He was just driving by there in his car and stopped at the old track where Sandy used to run. So I stand here on the track, and which hole I draw a line where the finish line was, where Sandy finished his last race. But the finish line is also the starting line, and that's what makes the pain bearable. That's what undergirds the loss with hope. That's what makes the race worth running. Suppose that life is not the race. Suppose life is only the training season and eternity is the real race. Then Sandy's heart was beating, not just for a medley relay, not just for 21 years, but for eternity the weight he carried, including a wounded heart, was preparing him for an eternal weight of glory. Sometimes in my mind I whisper, what's it like there, son? And I hear him say, I can think so deeply, and every thought is... I can speak and express exactly what I mean. I can run and never get tired. I'm so sure-footed on the paths of glory. And so a son leaves a legacy for a father. And I have determined to run my race for Christ to the end. And when that time comes, maybe our Savior will let Sandy come running to meet me. And then with all the sons and daughters of the resurrection, our hearts will beat and run with God forever. Let us stand in prayer. Our Father, the starting line and the finish line are with Thee.
You give us life and you give us the new birth. And so we pray that you will help us to so trust in you. And especially any person here today who may not be sure of that trust, make them know that if Jesus talked to this woman at the well, that he who said, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out, really means it. And that is false and full of sin as we are, as unlikely candidates as we are for eternity, that he'll take us and make us what we ought to be if we will but yield our lives to him. So help us to yield to him, we pray. In his name, amen.